0: Creating Change podcast. It's like episode 12. 12. episode three <laughs> Yes. Three for the spring semester. Mm-hmm. And today, we have a super special guest. I'm actually excited Aww. to interview and all that good stuff. <laughs> Leslie Corona. Yes, light the beer. Thank um, you. Leslie <laughs> received her BA in physical anthropology from San Jose State University. She was planning on becoming an archaeologist that focused on human remains in either Mesoamerica or in a prehistoric context. She attended Phil school in Peru and then in Spain before deciding that she wanted to go back to school to study history. She received her Master's of Art from San Jose State University in Modern American History in 2018. While in graduate school, she worked closely with the Mexican American Studies Department, now called the Chicana like Studies Department, through the graduate mentor program. She was basically assigned to attend courses that had students that performed poorly. She arranged for office hours, review sessions, and class writing workshops and study sessions that involved more than 50 students at a time. She currently works for the history department at San Jose State University after receiving her master's of art. And then she became an adjunct instructor at San Jose City College, where she's taught history survey courses ever since. Leslie.
1: Hi.
2: <laughs> hello. hello,
0: hello, Leslie. Hello. So what you guys don't know is Leslie actually is my interim interim supervisor, mm. and so we work closely in the African American Studies department. Mm. And like, she's only there Tuesday and Thursday, but those were like the best days of the week. Ah,
1: oh, they were fun. They were really absolutely. Fun. absolutely. Aaron's taste in music is awesome. <laughs> uh, we'd always play some smooth, you know, R and B, '90s stuff. Mm-hmm. Amazing how much work you get done, right, Aaron? That's right. But mm-hmm. they
0: always tell you that you know those four hours are important, but it, it kind of sucks we can do all your work in an hour, huh? Yeah, <laughs> a
1: little bit, a little bit. Hey, that's why you got to be in that office with the right people, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Otherwise, those four hours are awful. Eight hours, God, <laughs> trash. So every day is a struggle.
0: Every day. Mm-hmm. So we are all still adjusting to this coronavirus aka yes. covid19 so this isn't is it, and
2: this is current great? events right Aaron? current yes, yes, events Current events. Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: okay and so i think it'd be you know accurate to actually check in with everybody see how everybody's doing how everybody's adjusting mm. you should, like, start leslie or do you want chris to go first
1: uh i think chris should take it away
2: sure i can take it away <laughs> thank you thank you um So this is, like Aaron said, this is a, we are in, uh, in the midst of shelter in place. Um, we have been for, or at least I have been for, um, two weeks now. Um, I think some folks have been longer, um, due to various other circumstances, but we officially, uh, according to our governor has, have been in shelter in place for two weeks now. Um, and, uh it's it's been it's been a bit of an adjustment on my end um you know I think uh uh trying to remember to keep a regular schedule trying to um you know not uh forget certain things like eating on time or you know various things it's it's
1: totally my roommate was like oh you came out of your cave I'm like oh has it been a while (laughs) <laughs> it's like, yeah it's like three o'clock and you're barely having breakfast that's a problem
2: <laughs> oh, yeah yeah
1: you're
2: right yeah i mean the other night not last night but the night before i had i did something i haven't done in years which is that i couldn't sleep at all and i just stayed up all night um yeah. and i was i was like awake until four and mm. then I, and then uh and then i fell asleep for like three hours and then i woke up to go to work you know go to work um and uh it was terrible it was like (laughs)
1: isn't it the worst (laughs) yeah 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 my
2: roommate's suffering from the same thing he's been
0: staying up till 4 a.m every day talking to his friends and playing games and like i'll be up because for whatever reason my body still wakes up at eight and i'll walk out and i'll be doing things and then like noon rolls around and he'll walk out and he's like uh i'm like you sound (laughs) dead he's like yeah i got like five hours of sleep and I'm like, why don't you go to bed earlier? And he's like, my friends keep me sane. And I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. I still go to bed earlier. Are you you got to do what you got
1: to do, I guess, <laughs> under these circumstances. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. My issue is, is my sleep schedule. Mm-hmm. i had been so used to getting up at 6.15 uh, pretty much every day. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> since I have nowhere to go, <laughs> I was like, right. oh, okay. So turning off that alarm and then... I really should set another alarm so I don't stay in bed past noon. Literally the only time I, I get up is cause I'm hungry mm. and then I eat and then I'm like, you know what? My bed's not made. I'm still in my pajamas. So let me just lay down for just one second. Just just one second. That, that first week was really rough. I did not like myself in those first, that first week. I was very disappointed in me. Um, but yeah, it, 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 it does take some adjusting and I think, yeah setting an alarm is really helpful (laughs) and then setting like i know it sounds weird a bedtime alarm Mm, because mm. i lose track of time so Mm. easily i'll look up it's 1 a.m and it feels like 10 o'clock or something Mm. oh my god i really need to go to bed so yeah that's the weird that's the adjustment i have to make (laughs) like time yeah yeah. yes oh yes i'm not disciplined at all at least i thought i was but i'm not i'm definitely not
2: well i I've, what i mean one of the problems is that like i can't hold myself accountable because there's no, there's very little consequences on this stuff <laughs> yeah. like I had to wake up early before because I had to physically be somewhere, and yeah. like now it's like oh, not only do I not have to physically go nowhere but like if I get tired in the middle of the day and I take like a twenty minute nap like
1: No big deal. (laughs) No big
2: deal, right? Like, if there's no meeting or whatever, no big deal. So my body knows that. So it's just like, well, you don't really need to sleep right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I can't trick my body into thinking things are still normal. I can't do it. It knows. It knows better. (laughs) It's like, oh, all those times that you didn't get to sleep, guess what? Mm -hmm. You're going to get to sleep. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's been really, really hard. (laughs) And holding yourself accountable, absolutely. And then you mentioned earlier the whole pressure of being a lot done now that we have "quote unquote" time mm-hmm. <laughs> to do this. Or I know, right? Like, do we really? No. Mm-hmm. My mom called me the other the other day, and she's like, "Um, so do you need like coloring books or something? Like, are you bored at all? Are you watching movies?" I was like, "Mom, I wish I was bored. Mm-hmm. I wish I have so much to do, and you know, just moving my class online and all this stuff is just." There's a lot going on. I'm like, mom, I, you don't think I'm lying around, like twelve hours a day doing nothing, right? Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, oh, I'm sure you're busy. I'm like, no, I am. I am. I would like to color. That'd be nice, maybe at some point.
2: <laughs> That's
1: like a Saturday evening.
2: <laughs> yeah, the activity. weekend. The weekends have been weird.
1: <laughs> Haven't they? Yes. Yeah, it's so weird. weird. It's so weird, so weird. You
0: can't, I'm. I'm. I'm still trying. Like, kind of trying to adjust to the fact that today is Friday. Yeah. yeah. I'm Like. Why does it feel like another day? Mm-hmm. Like, it just
1: feels like a Tuesday, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. But, yeah,
0: but, but from, like, the students' end of it, I know that the uh, faculty members, um, even adjunct professors such as yourself, uh, Leslie, have been trying to make our our transition into a different school system mm-hmm. or school style mm-hmm. easy. But, like, this Zoom shit is for the birds, yo. Mm-hmm. Like,
1: it it kind of sucks. No, I, I agree. I personally it. like Zoom. But, um... As a student, I wouldn't like Zoom. Uh, it, it, I feel mm. like it takes away the whole experience of being in a classroom. And these kids sign up for an in-person class because they want an in-person mm. class. There's a totally different dynamic there. Um, and so, and like I said, a lot of my students don't have access to laptops or anything, which is why they sign up for an in-person mm. And then to tell us right away, they gave us like four days to (laughs) figure out um, how to use all these things. You know, Um, I already made my decision not to use Zoom because like I said, I don't think it's very student friendly, (laughs) Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Uh, especially if you're not technologically um, skilled. Mm -hmm. It's a little scary and intimidating. I I had a student who uh, told me he needed to drop my class just for that reason the mm-hmm. fact that it's online and i'm like you know what i totally i totally understand totally agree mm-hmm. go for it and he's like well can i take your class over the summer i was like of course but the way things are going
2: <laughs> i mean it's well, summer totally- is not looking good
1: yeah it'll probably be online too so tell
0: your friends to stay inside you want to take an online or take an in-person class yeah mm-hmm. tell them know. to stop going outside no seriously anybody <laughs> listening to this please stay your ass inside
1: Please, yes, like,
2: please, please, please,
1: please. Make this worthwhile.
0: I, like I know it's tempting to go outside and defy the authority, but listen, the moment you step outside, you place yourself and everybody else at risk of contracting the current virus going around. Let's let's not talk about the fact that they are now talking about there's a second one that's being transferred by rats that's not important right now it'd be important after this oh
1: my god but seriously like (laughs) that's crazy
2: yeah there's like a there's supposed to be like a wave two that people aren't predicting a second wave oh
1: my goodness it's
2: like
0: seriously stay indoors Mm yeah wash your hands Mm -hmm. if you if you're home alone call your family Mm -hmm. call your friends find a way to occupy your attention this is a time period where you can reconnect with yourself and other people do things you did as a child you can't even do anymore because you never had the time those sorts of things but for the love of everything holy do not take (laughs) your ass outside if it's not an emergency seriously
1: so wait my birthday is april 2nd
2: oh happy birthday
1: yes i know oh thank you um and my (laughs) Pretty much all my friends are like, so we'll just drop stuff off, on the <laughs> porch, and walk away. <laughs> oh, like I can't even like say hi. I can't even hug. I can't nothing. I'll just uh, they'll just ring my doorbell and run. Like <laughs> yeah, like oh, old
0: fashioned okay.
2: Dean dong dish. We'll hey, wave at hey, you know? from the car. Yeah, that's, yeah,
1: that's real sweet. Oh, wiped out. Yeah, you hear me? Plea,
2: peel out. Like <laughs> 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 that's that's when you will know something happened. <laughs>
1: oh it's nuts it's so crazy like I won't even get to like see my family or anything like that we have like traditions that we do for every birthday and it's like oh can't do that (laughs) we're gonna have to I don't know skype with each other or something um I know it's it's kind of nuts and I'm like if I have to do that (laughs) all y'all better be staying at home Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no joke
0: and my grandmother's been calling me and she's like, When are you driving back to LA? And I'm like, For being real about it, I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I want to be able to go soon, but at the same time, I'm like, That just be putting you at risk. So much like, I help you, you know, inject your insulin and, you know, Ooh, test yeah. your blood sugar and stuff like that. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I might as well just stay up here until quarantine is over. Don't risk I, I, it. I love and miss them, but I don't want to risk Uh, We have several elderly folks in my house who are, uh, the immune systems aren't as strong as they used to be,
3: mm-hmm.
0: so I'm just mm-hmm. like, I don't want to. I don't want to show up carrying pathogens I didn't know I had, and then you know feel responsible yeah. for some guilt.
1: That's that's but, the cre- you know. that's the creepy part, right? We don't know if we have it, right? We we don't have to display symptoms to mm. know that we have it, but we can certainly transmit it to anybody else, right? So yeah, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a good idea. I know it sucks, but. Mm-hmm. It, it's not worth the risk y'all it's not worth the risk mm-hmm. especially if we have things that we can, we can FaceTime. it's temporary let's just yeah. stick it out
2: and yeah. also like for folks who who are home like like i and i understand that like like there're also people who like are in in terrible living situations for various reasons mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. they they have overcrowded houses or they have a lot of dependents or they have you know, in abusive relationships, I understand that, like, there are a lot of reasons why being home is not desirable. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, shout out to the folks who aren't able to go to home, right? Like, there are folks who are working still for various reasons at various industries who are keeping the rest of us alive right?
1: <laughs> yeah for sure
2: like whether Absolutely. they're medical professional whether they're working in grocery stores or restaurants like right. keeping the rest of us still like going like so like if the reason you're going out is because you're bored and you want to hit the beach like don't do that
3: oh my god right <laughs> <laughs>
2: we're
0: all going to the beach because we're stuck in the house no you're no. not going to the beach
1: mm you're staying stay,
0: home. Stay, stay indoors, mm-hmm.
1: yeah. please. Oh, I just got a text message from Trene. my other admin, my fellow history admin. She says um, there's a public safety alert. Mm-hmm. The county mm-hmm. of Santa Clara reminds everyone to shelter in place. That means stay home to protect yourself and those you care about. Minimize going out, even for essentials. She like underlined it. She mm-hmm. put a sad face. <laughs> Because really, she and I have been talking about getting donuts forever, and just like, mm-hmm. like live streaming each other eating donuts <laughs> because that's <laughs> our thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I don't know if you consider donuts an essential. but probably not.
0: Nah, I'm I'm the wrong person <laughs> to say this because I just have to be preaching about people staying inside. <laughs> but you know what? Lunch.
1: These are tough times. Well, all okay. All,
0: all I know is if you can, you know, call in advance order your donuts or whatever right walk in pay walk out but also like you have to drive home immediately
2: right like you could wrap things in other things right it's like if i was already gonna go out to get groceries because i'm out of bread i could pick up some donuts i'm already out (laughs) right like (laughs) like the danger is i'm in the danger zone already right
0: (laughs) i think you're very upset about this come for us then you should say stay inside it's convenient look you we're out these groceries, okay technicalities
1: I know and and donuts are are grocery items so. yeah, they are That's they good. are
0: <laughs> they right. are so switching gears, this is a uh, women's mm-hmm. history month, Herstory month. her history month yes. month it Herstory. it depends on the context and who you're talking and who you're talking to. some people mm-hmm. actually prefer her story month, mm-hmm. more power to them um your research. Well, why don't you tell the folks about your research, Leslie? What is it you find joy studying?
1: Oh, man. That's a really broad, interesting uh, question. <laughs> um, really, I found Latinas, specifically Chicanas, really, really interesting. Not just because I am one. Mm-hmm. Oh, for those who don't are unaware, Chicanos are um, – Mexican Americans. So, my parents are from Mexico City, so they wouldn't be considered Chicanos, right? Because um, they were born in Mexico City. But then, even that, you know, is is tricky. A lot of people now use the term openly, like a lot, a lot more broadly, to mm. encompass a lot more Mexicans. But my parents themselves would never call themselves Chicanos. That's that's mm-hmm. something. It's very American. It's very southwestern. Um, so when I, u- when I use the term, that's what I mean, people who were born here, I like to say one foot in America, one foot in Mexico. We were typically raised by immigrants or raised by people who um, have far more closer ties, I guess, to their Mexican culture than an American one.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, my time period, I'm all over the place. I love the 20th century. Uh, so I'm a modern Americanist. Um, I'm kind of looking right now at uh, the 1920s and 1930s. I know that there's a huge Mexican middle class uh, in the 1920s, 1930s. They were involved in creating LULAC, which was a, a really important uh, Latin American organization that still exists, mm-hmm. um, but it has its roots in 1929. And I found I found it really fascinating. I really think youth is very interesting to me. Um, that transition between childhood and adulthood is really fascinating because historians typically don't look too closely at that, at that era of life, because really you can't vote yet. You can't, mm-hmm. you don't really have a political voice yet, which is understandable. Um, but there are some studies, quite a lot, um, I found that um, focus on teenagers on that pre right before you get married Mm -hmm. era um which i find really interesting and there are lots i mean the 1920s it's known for being the jazz age right Mm -hmm. about of young people flappers running around and i just thought well it'd be really cool to see what mexicans are up to what chicanos are up to Mm -hmm. because i know in the 40s we mean we loved zoot suits we loved Mm -hmm. everything that young kids loved at the time I mean, were we also, you know, engaged in the trends of the 1920s? I'm sure we were, you know, uh, but I've never seen any real um, study on that. So that's currently what I'm trying to look into. I'm, I'm, I was I was checking out all these books from the library and stuff. <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> and trying to
1: look into that. Yeah. So I'm all over the place, Aaron. That's a tough, tough question. When I see okay. something, I'm like, ooh. I wonder if anything's been done on that. And then I get lost in this crazy maze of things. I'm like, oh, wow, this is about this and this is about that. I just started reading a book on um youth activism in the 1930s during the Great mm-hmm. Depression uh in New York, and it's so good. It's so mm-hmm. good. I'm like, wow, oh, this is so awesome. Cuz again, you know, most youth studies focus on the 1950s. 1960s you know 50s rock and roll and all that Mm -hmm. and then the 60s where we have like the youth movements and things but not a lot's been really done on anything pre-1950s so Mm -hmm. that's where I'm looking kind of all over the place (laughs) that's
2: awesome that's awesome um I uh you were talking about youth movements from the 1920s and I was trying to think um Gosh, when I mean this is a pop culture reference, but when when did Newsies take place?
1: Oh, Newsies is actually turn of the century, so about nineteen fifteen ish.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah. Before
1: yeah. the nineteen twenties, yeah.
2: Okay, but that that was a I mean that was a youth. I mean it was inspired by real life.
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Yes, a movement. Yeah, in um, I believe it was in um, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. where all that took place yeah they were sort of banding together to get more money um yeah yeah certainly absolutely there are little pockets of that all over the place which I find totally fascinating like youth have never been quiet and docile mm-hmm. and you know they've always wanted to fight for themselves and be independent even though they're most of the time <laughs> way too young <laughs> mm-hmm. way too young to do it um but yeah, we see that quite a lot in history. Quite okay. a
0: lot. So, um, kind of like a general question. What what is a historian? <laughs> because um, I know that when we when we have like conversations yeah. and things like that, like when me and my friend Marcel talk about it, you know, we go, these are people who keep history and culture and things like that. But what what is a historian, you know, when you get that degree in history and you yeah. start calling yourself that, what does that actually
1: represent? Okay, historians, what they do is we interpret the past. We use documents, right? So unless it's written down, we typically as a discipline don't consider it in our research. Which is why a lot of, you know, there are subcategories sub of historian, right? You can do oral history, you can do folk history, you could do, um, you know, you look at pictures and things like that, focus on music. But for the most part, historians look at evidence in a documented form, which is why, you know, before we have writing, it's called prehistory, right? Mm. Prehistoric, we don't have anything written down for prehistory. So it becomes history when it's written down. So um, unless you leave something written behind, historians typically don't look at it. You know what I mean? Which is, it's, um, I wouldn't say it's unfortunate, but I think a lot of people don't quite understand that that's our discipline. Once you go past documents, you go into other disciplines, right? This is why we need ethnic historians, why we need, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, because they focus on something completely different. Historians typically look at documents, right? Um, And any kind of document. We use primary, secondary, tertiary um, sources um, and basically try to interpret the past. What was going on in the past that dictated how history was created, right? Mm -hmm. That's basically what we do. So that also means um, the best historians don't judge the past. That's not our goal, that's not our job. Our job is to be as cold and distant about it as possible, right? There's, there's a reason why we're called social scientists. We use a scientific base to describe the past, right? So we try to be as objective as possible and a lot of people don't like that we're objective, right? Mm-hmm. How can we study the past and not have an opinion? about you know the fact that i don't know thomas jefferson was probably in love with his slave like that is not something that historians are supposed to do we're not supposed to go back and and justify anything we're supposed to interpret the past why did this happen how did it happen and how did it affect people right right and that's basically it that's that's what you do in the hopes I mean, maybe this is just me being um, idealistic, but (laughs) in the hopes that people actually learn from Mm -hmm. past mistakes, right? Past (laughs) things that we did um, that you're thinking, well, oh dear, why would they, why would people freak out about communists, you know, during the 1950s? Let's, let's, let's figure that out. That's what we do as historians. And then, when we find out, oh, it's because of all this propaganda and all of this, you know, sc- scaring and stuff, hopefully in the future, <laughs> you'll be able to see those signs and go, huh, this has already happened before. Maybe we should keep what ultimately will happen from happening, right? <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Let's calm down and, and realize that we're being racist, we're being sexist, you know. All that sort of thing, but that's up to you guys, right? That's up to people who consume history. Uh, we contribute to history, and then you guys consume it, right?
2: Right. So yeah. I do have a question about the objectivity piece.
1: Yes. Yes. Um,
2: and you you kind of alluded to this too, so I'm hoping you could talk a little bit more about it too. Um, what happens when our uh, What happens when we we as people? are not able to separate our own kind of unconscious bias from the process, right? Because I know that, like, for example, like I was a literature major when I was an undergrad, right? And Mm -hmm. one of the problems in literature, as we understand in the United States, is that the normalization of the European canon means that people who study literature start with a, you know, this is this is Grecian, this is Roman, this is British, this is French, and then it's not until you get into like specializations before you realize that oh, there's an entire world outside of Europe. Um,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: So, what happens when history is recorded with bias and people yeah. don't, you know, aren't it's able really, to be objective?
1: It, it's really hard. We're we're human, right? We're right. we're naturally inclined towards certain things, right? Why would I not study, you know, non-Chicanas, right? I am a Chicana and already there's a built-in, not bias, but like preference, let's say, to, to a topic because I am one, right? Mm-hmm. But I hope that in my research, I'm aware of this bias, right? As I'm, as I'm reading through the things and I include things that make us look normal, right? As Chicanos. I found that um, that's the tricky part when we're trying to make Chicanos look good, Mm -hmm. right? We'll like ignore the parts of history that like don't make us look all that great and we'll just focus on the stuff that we like, right? That's bad history. You're not Mm -hmm. supposed to do that because like I said, we're trying to be as objective as possible, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, when I I talk about the Californios in California, uh, right before we became part of the United States, Californios are Mexicans ethnically Mm -hmm. uh, and they own slaves. They enslaved pretty much many of the native Americans already in California. But does that make Mexicans look good? (laughs) No, (laughs) no. So um, that's not really talked about too much, but that's our job, right? We need to be aware we as, as, let's say academics, it doesn't matter what discipline you're in, right? As academics, we should be able to note our bias, know that it's there and say, well, I need to do this fairly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I need to do this for my discipline in the best way possible. I know many people are going to read this and feel very uncomfortable, but sorry that's what it is it's the truth it's real it's what you're supposed to do and i think if you're if you really do want to be the best you can be in your discipline you have no choice you're going to have to include all the ugly stuff that'll mm-hmm. make people sort of upset right <laughs> mm-hmm. and make us make us look bad and things and i i'd say the same right for literature mm-hmm. unfortunately right um yeah. we always have to study shakespeare because mm-hmm. Shakespeare was Shakespeare, right? I mean, he invented all these idioms and things and it just oh, makes sense. Historically.
2: <laughs> well, and I think I think one of the problems with the Shakespearean form of study <laughs> is not so much that we study Shakespeare, but right? that the quote-unquote experts all happen to be old white men, right? Correct. Like and yeah. it's it's oftentimes like and I appreciate you bringing up different aspects of like Chicano like culture and sure. history. But it's oftentimes when we challenge white supremacy or challenge patriarchy that that we're just totally shut down right like that yeah. I feel like is the hardest part is when we're like okay let's let's take this piece of history or this piece of literature or this piece of social science out of a white supremacist or out of a patriarchal context
1: right right and it's and it's really, really hard to do. I was gonna say, you know thinking historically, thinking objectively, thinking. Trying to take the human out of it is very difficult. That's why it's something that we're supposed to. We're supposed to learn this in school. We're supposed to learn how to be analytical. So the fact that you pointed out, oh, well, look, this is all from a European lens. You're being analytical, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's part of it. I find that my students struggle so hard, so hard to take themselves out of something to truly look at it, to truly look at it is very, very difficult. Um, So I'm really not surprised that most people don't do that. Most people stick to what makes them comfortable, makes them, you know, think, oh yeah, I I must be right because everyone else seems to agree with me, right? (laughs) And you're right. Anytime that you um, sort of question the Mm -hmm. status quo, right? Or question uh the validity of something probably because it was it's always been there it's always been supported by a certain group of people (laughs) (laughs) yeah you will get pushback absolutely absolutely but i think it's the same for any discipline would you Mm -hmm. say any discipline Mm -hmm. um because we've been so entrenched yeah in that particular way of of thinking i just think i just think academia in general is garbage
2: (laughs) It that's is garbage. It's garbage. It, that's a whole different I, podcast, but yes. it is right. We
1: can do a whole thing on that. I, I think it's just oh ridiculous. man, ridiculous.
0: And, and then the amount of guests we can even have on this conversation. A lot of, <laughs> of them be like, "Yeah, you are right." Like the the, the Academy game is trash. Um, <laughs> yeah, but getting I, back I on know. topic before we like sidetrack again. Yeah, um <laughs> Was there a a moment in time, mm-hmm. literally? Was there a moment in time or a, a lesson you were teaching that kind of solidified that you actually wanted to be a historian or that you were going down the right ooh. trajectory for your career path?
1: Ooh, 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 yes. And I might get in trouble for it. <laughs> I might get in trouble Perfect. for it. Um, Depending, yeah, depending on uh, who's listening, right?
2: <laughs> um, I mean, don't don't feel like you need to use names. It's okay. Uh,
1: I, well, yeah, if 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 particular, I guess, students or people were to hear it, I think they'd know who I was talking about. Mm-hmm. But let's just say I saw how history was being taught by this mm-hmm. by these particular people, and I thought, oh my god, it's clear these people are not historians because this is not how you're supposed to teach this. I had students come up to me after particular bad (laughs) sessions and these were non Chicanos. And they were like, well, I don't understand. Like, why don't, if they hate this country so much, why don't they just leave? And I thought, no one, no one should leave a classroom feeling like that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? No one. That's unacceptable. There's no such thing as a bad student. It's Mm -hmm. bad teaching, right? So um, there's a particular moment uh, to answer directly your question, Erin. I was just coasting through. I was watching these people teach and sort of coasting through. And there were moments where I was like, that's not right. But okay, (laughs) it's fine. You know, this is their class. I won't deal with it. There was one particular time they were talking about repatriation. Mexicans were repatriated in the nineteen thirties. They were rounded up onto trains and Time sent.
0: If you say yeah. repatriated.
1: That's correct. Yes. That that repatriated. was Repatriated. Yes, that was, was like, the term.
0: Continue. I'm gonna ask you what that, that means was anyway. The term so
1: that was used, yes. Um, and um, this particular instructor made the comparison to uh, the Trail of Tears mm. for the Cherokee. And he was like, this was like our version of the Trail of Tears. And just my blood just started boiling. I was like, no, no, no one was shot to death. No one was trampled. They didn't have to go back to Mexico on foot in the snow. No, you're not supposed to. We don't teach history in that way. Who suffered the most, guys? (laughs) Like, That's not how you teach. I was so upset. I went up to them and I said, you have to... You have to get rid of that that's unacceptable if you had a cherokee in this classroom they would be very angry with you because these are not comparable sufferings Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's like you cannot compare you know the slavery of native americans to the slavery of african americans slavery slavery Mm -hmm. they do shitty for both of them like what are these students going to learn by comparing those two things, right? Right. You need to look at them as individual events, Mm -hmm. which they were. I was Mm -hmm. furious. And he was like, well, I don't understand, you know, what the big deal is. You know, I just used it because most students learn about the Trail of Tears. I'm like, bullshit. I don't care. I don't care. This is not how you teach history. So I I thought all the way home. I was like ranting. I was so
3: (laughs) sad. Oh, my gosh. I like...
1: I was in grad school. So I I called, I literally emailed my advisor. I was like, Oh my God, this is driving me crazy. If this is how they're teaching history, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. And he was like, Oh, you should talk to him. You know, you should really think about how would you approach this, this topic? How would you get, how would you reach the kids that are not Mexican Mm -hmm. and make them feel you know, this, this connection. I'm like, I'm not going to tr- compare it to the fucking trail of tears. I'll tell you, that. <laughs> mm-hmm. No way. No, suffering is suffering. Like, no, 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 don't do that. So that's really the moment where I thought, okay, I can do it much better than this. And I, <laughs> and I don't have a PhD, so, you know, I mm-hmm. can do it better. And um, I really sat down and thought about, okay, if I was allowed to teach this course, how would I do it? How would I structure it? And I found I really loved putting assignments together. I really loved putting uh, together outlines and you know s- syllabi and stuff. Uh, I know what a nerd, right? But hey, it's no, true. It's, it, it's true. I love doing it because I thought, well, had kind a of monster, are you? I can squeeze <laughs> this in and I can squeeze mm-hmm. that in because really, we should learn about everybody's history, not just a particular group, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone should learn each other's history. And so I'm talking to the white kids that are in my class. Right. They know about George Washington. They know about all that mm-hmm. stuff, but they're just as fascinated to learn about everything else, you know, mm-hmm. and I would hate to deprive them of that <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and to do it in the right way where they don't feel like they're the bad guy. Mm -hmm. which I found that a lot, a lot in ethnic studies courses. No offense, Aaron.
0: (laughs) Oh, none taken.
1: FM is amazing. None
0: taken. I I know exactly what you're talking about too. You
1: know what I'm talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's us versus them, and that's not the way it should be taught. And that's really what inspired me to do it, to go for it. And then, Mm. you know, you know me. I'm very outgoing. I'm not a shy person. So (laughs) putting me in front of a classroom where I can talk about the things I love and get paid. Hell yeah. Let's do it.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that's um, um, that's a really powerful story. I think it's it's um, thank you for sharing. It's there's, <laughs> I mean, it's it's such a it's such a um, a powerful moment to be like, oh, like I can I can visibly see, yeah. the thing that I th- I've always felt was wrong with this.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Every single first day of class, every single semester. I always ask them, one, what do you think historians do, mm-hmm. <laughs> and two, what has been your experience with history?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And I always get the same the same responses from everybody. It's boring.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it's useless. That one hurts. Uh, <laughs> um, and it's all about memorizing and, and you know mm-hmm. remembering that that the that the civil the civil war. Appomattox like little like it's Mm -hmm. it's trivial and Mm -hmm. that tells me we have a really big problem in Mm -hmm. how we teach history because that's really not what we do at all I I was really great this this semester I asked them you know when you think of a history book what comes to mind and of course everyone said a textbook
3: Mm -hmm.
1: and I'm like no (laughs) they're like a handful of historians that write, that write textbooks. No, we spend all of our lives researching one particular thing and then writing books about it. So I shared with them my favorite history books. And you literally see them like jotting it down. And I'm like, well, you know, you're not going to be tested on any of this. I just wanted to show you guys what actual history books are. And this one kid came up to me after class, after everyone left, he just waited. Everyone left. And he comes up to me and he's like, do you have any like really good, like gay history that I could read up on? I was like, oh, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Do you have a piece of paper? Get out a piece of paper. I'm going to write them all down for you.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: you know what I mean? Like yeah. they don't, they just don't know. They don't know that, what, what historians do and, and mm. what actual history books are and things like that. And I cannot deal with that.
2: Well, <laughs> that, you know, um, I mean, you should prep yourself because at the end of this podcast, Aaron's going to make you give a list of recommendations. Um,
0: oh, okay. Uh, he's it out there now. I, I, that was but, not my intent, but since he's not put me out there to do it, I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, what, well, you not going to do it? Aaron? Okay. <laughs> nah, but uh, you know what? Yeah, you're ready I'm going you You know what? I,
1: for, for Aaron's birthday, I actually got him one of my favorite history books. Nice.
0: Christmas.
1: Have you started reading it, young man? Huh? It was Christmas. Have you?
0: <laughs> yeah, I've started it,
1: Oh, it was Christmas. You're right. You're right.
0: I mean, yes. you're going to give me a history book for my birthday. Uh, that's June 23rd. So just go ahead and, you know. Oh! The part two, the part
2: yourself. two. Um, I mean, one of, one of the thoughts I had that was in response to what you were saying, Lizzie, is, um, you know, like, just my own personal experiences. I come out from yeah. the other direction, which is that I'm, I'm pretty good at trivia, you know? And, like, I mm-hmm. do, like, I go to, like, bar trivia and stuff, and I like to <laughs> yell at Jeopardy! contestants on, on TV and stuff. <laughs> And and then my friends have been like, oh, you're so smart. And it's like, no, I'm not. I can remember a stupid fact. But that's <laughs> not the same as being smart, you know? It's like <laughs> knowing knowing who the 14th president is is not the same as being smart. Like, you Sure, know?
1: if you could tell me, you know, how he got elected, what exactly right. uh, what were his goals, what did he accomplish as a president, that's what makes you smart, right? right. That's what differentiates you between... You know, an historian and someone who's interested in history, right? Yeah. yeah. But you're still smart. Hey, you know, uh, some people, <laughs> some people forget their birthdays, like you
2: know. Yo, okay, I mean, I've it's that
0: several times. It's right. a different.
2: It's you're right. It's a different sort of smart. But like, you know, yeah. I think, and and kind of kind of what you were saying though is that people do conflate history yeah. and trivia. You know, and it's like. Knowing, I I mean, knowing, knowing dates and places is important, but it's not the end all be all of it all.
1: No, no, no. It's, it's the tip of the iceberg really. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You're right. Yeah. (laughs) They'll tell me, you know, Oh, I'm terrible at history because I can't remember names and I can't remember dates. I'm like, Oh my God, (laughs) you don't have to, (laughs) I promise you don't have to just remember. Yeah. The concepts, what do these people actually do? Who in what context did they live in? You know, that's the important stuff. I know I'm always invited to like trivia nights and stuff because I'm a historian. <laughs> and then like, I, even though I'm an Americanist, all of a sudden I'm supposed to be like super good at like ancient history, yeah, and like Chinese history, like yeah, yeah. Just everything. <laughs> it,
2: happen, it happens to me sometimes at trivia nights because I was a lit major, and people there'll be a book question. People look at me. I'm like, I didn't read every single book. <laughs> that's not what my major was.
0: So. I do have uh, a couple questions based off of the the inspirational story you just told. Um, the first one being, uh, we watched a documentary where one of the people... Uh, <laughs> oh, <dear.
1: laughs> Chris is already laughing. Because
0: <laughs> he knows where I'm going with this. Oh, so, uh, I thought
2: of that guy, too.
0: Uh, the guy was literally... He was talking to this young lady, and he goes, so... What's so important about knowing what the past? What's Martin Luther King gonna do for me? What's Martin Mason gonna do for me? Are they gonna put dinner on my table? You know, are they gonna feed my family?
2: Martin Luther King's not gonna come over future? and cook me dinner. <laughs> this <laughs> this so, was in Black is Black Ant. You can listen yes. you can listen to our podcast for that oh documentary. Because uh, <laughs> we definitely we excited. definitely laughed about that moment for a good like
1: now I gotta yeah. ask, was, so, was this person was this person African American?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Same as so, Martin Luther King? Okay.
0: And so um, ironically enough, this is not the first time I've heard a thought like that, though.
1: Mm-hmm. There
0: are people of different ethnicities who still share that, that common belief. Why is history important?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: You know, What, what oh, response yeah. would you have to that question? Like, what can history do for people?
1: Well, really, good history. Good history should make you feel something. Whether it's, most of the time it's anger. It should mm-hmm. be anger, right? um uncomfort uh, uncomfortable feeling right (laughs) um but it should make you feel something and and i'm glad when people feel um inspired which i find a lot of people use history for is oh check it out you know women have been fighting for the votes since forever Mm -hmm. i talked about margaret Sanger the other day and um the student told me she had no idea that women were fighting for birth control since the turn of the century oh absolutely since before then margaret singer just got thrown in jail for it because <laughs> um, it is it's important and now what's tricky is that people tend to be absolute about everything so if they find out that martin luther king you know cheated on his wife all of a sudden everything he did for the civil rights movement doesn't matter mm-hmm. and that's not the way that history should be looked at, right? That's not the function of history to make you feel comfortable, to make you feel happy. That's not the point, you know? You need to take everything uh, with truth, an element of truth. Susan B. Anthony is like one of my heroes. But I always get told, oh, did you know she was racist? Oh, did you know that she did this and that? Well, yeah, she's from the 1880s. Like, we have racists now. This should not be surprising (laughs) that they were racist back then. Like, really? The fact that she, you know, toured the country on a train and was called a man behind her back and all this stuff, and she kept going, that's that's the admirable part, right? No one's perfect, especially in the past, right? Mm. So, It's a tricky question because people look at history, they only use it to benefit themselves, right? Right. They make it so that they can feel better about themselves. And that's not really the point of history. The the point is to learn, is to think, is to see, oh, okay, this has been done before. How can we avoid the same pitfalls? Oh, look, we used scaremongering to go to war oh no it's happening again right because mm-hmm. we see it history cyclical for that reason because we don't learn from it
3: mm-hmm.
1: people have this idea well what's the point why why look mm-hmm. to the past that's why you should look at the past
3: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> We need to know how we got to where we are we have to in order to know how we where we go from here right we we need to know because uh that way we don't repeat the same mistakes and i found uh, history is inspiring in that way too where um, I've actually been getting questions like well how did we beat the epidemic of the flu uh, during World War I? Um, it's like well yeah that's a great question you see history is not so useless is it you can go back in time and see how people you know they were quarantined they did exactly what we are doing you know and of course thank goodness by then we had germ theory so they knew okay maybe we should wash our instruments wash our hands you know all that stuff yeah it's valuable in so many ways but the tricky thing is to make sure that people learn the right thing about it you know stay calm this has happened before you should be able to recognize trends Mm -hmm. right oh look this is happening again how can we avoid it from ending in a bad way that's the point of looking back and going, oh, okay, this is how we became the way we are, right?
0: Okay, so the second part to this question, um, so the second part is probably two parts anyway, because I don't ask simple questions for some reason. Um, so you had mentioned earlier about how history tends to be told in a manner where we, we uh, combat this notion of that there's a hierarchy of oppression. Like somebody's yeah. had it worse over time periods, so on and so forth yeah how do you take this idea that there is no hierarchy of hierarchy of oppression into Mm -hmm. your classroom environments and then how do you incorporate it into your own research
1: Ooh. well that's a great question well what i do in every single class what i try to do this is how i frame it all the stuff that we've already learned like all basically white history um we still need to learn we still need to know how laws were formed, why they were formed, why they were created. We still need to know. So I always look at that as kind of like the backbone, right? But a body is useless if it's just the backbone, right? You need to have the ribs and limbs and the head. (laughs) And all of that stuff is everybody else's story that, that creates that body, right? So the backbone is still important. We still need to teach all that. But in every single class, I talk about women, Native Americans, um, African Americans, and people of color. And I can't, unfortunately, I can't, I mean, I only have 80 minutes, right? I can't um, talk about everything in depth, but I certainly bring it all up. Because like I said before, you know, if there's a, a, a Chinese student in my class, he gets to see his history, his role in America, and he gets to learn the African American role, and the Chicano role, and the, and this and uh, the president, what he was doing at the time, right? Because they got to learn the whole story. So that's how I do it. I, I don't frame it in a way where it's like, okay, compare and contrast. You know, the slavery of natives to the slavery of African Americans. Never. What are they going to learn from that? Nothing. Then that that's that's the question I ask myself. Okay. What am I trying to get them to learn from this? They need to learn what their people went through, not just their people, right? As Americans, what we went through, because all of that is our history. Black, white, brown, all of it belongs to all of us, even if we're not brown ourselves, right? So that's basically how I frame it. When I talked about, for example, when I talked about the Chinese Exclusion Act, um, I talked about when they came, how they came, um, how they lived, and then how they were perceived by the general public. Because that's important. That basically frames how racism uh, developed in the Chinese community, right? And why they had to create Chinese- Chinatowns. Um, and I told them, well, right here in San Jose, we used to have six Chinatowns. And they were all mysteriously burned to the ground. Now, that's all I say, that's a fact. It's up to them to think, wait a minute, (laughs) let me ask a follow-up question. Why? Ah, that's a great question, let me tell you how they were viewed back then. Let me show you some advertisements, let me show you, you know what I mean? How this whole thing started, without giving them any way of, of, without telling them how to think, right? Or or telling them what to think, because again, that's not my job. They can decide for themselves. Oh, well, that's incredibly racist. Yeah. Yeah, it is. But remember there there's a fear of the unknown. Then at the time there was this promotion of nativism going on, which really shouldn't be surprising to people that <laughs> at were the time. perceived as American, right? <laughs> Quote unquote. Yeah. And nativism of course comes and goes, right? It, it's always there, but it comes in waves. Sometimes it's worse uh, than at other times. Um but that, that's how I frame it. And I, I don't say, well, you know, oh, but wait a minute, guys. The Native Americans, by the way, are rotting away in the reservations. So they have it worse than the Chinese. That doesn't benefit anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, the Chinese kid in the classroom would beg to differ, right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. he experienced it a very different way than any of us did, right? So it, you don't really learn anything by doing that. I, I remember I showed a, um, a clip of a minstrel show, and I told them to focus, to look at body language and, you know, the blackface, how it was done, what, what features are, are emphasized, and I had them talk about it, right? I saw this kid when we were watching the, <laughs> watching the clip, literally gasp, like, he covered his mouth, he was so shocked, like, he'd never seen what a minstrel show was, Right? So I don't need to tell them, oh, you know, isn't this awful? This is so horrible. This is so racist. They make that conclusion themselves, which I think we need to let them learn, right? We need to let them ask these questions, really grapple with it. And I told them, you know, yeah, you see, there's a part where he starts to like thrust, like he, he rolls his hips a little bit. And I said, well, why do you think they would do that? Why do you think? And this kid in the back who never talked was so moved by the, by the scene, he raised his hand and he was like well, wouldn't that be considered kind of like sexual? I said, aha, yes. And what was the stereotype of people back then? Oh, well, that they were overly sexual. Boom. There you go. Right? <laughs> and again, I don't have to c- make any comparison to anyone else. It's, you know, just showing them individual histories is enough. They get it. They make connections.
0: So what about in your research?
1: Ooh. So, in my research, I keep thinking i like I said, um, I want to make sure that i I paint an entire picture, not just a picture that makes us look good or makes the kids that I study look good, right um, that's just how it's supposed it should be done right it, you you want to paint a very <laughs> detailed picture, the most detailed picture you can, even if it doesn't look good, right? (laughs) Um, And really, unless you're doing something specifically to compare two different types of people, there's no real need to do that. If my whole point is to show, okay, this is what they're doing and this is how they contributed to their communities, I don't need to really bring in anybody else, right? This, that's my only goal, is to show, oh, look, they weren't just sitting around doing homework. They were doing a lot more. They were going out to clubs. They were listening to Black music. They were doing all these things that their parents thought were was very, very naughty. Uh, but every, all teenagers do that, right? I mean, all young people want to dress a certain way. They don't want to dress like their parents. You know, That's the whole point, right? I don't, I don't need to make any sort of outside comparison if that's not my goal, right? Because it would be really cool. I I would always wanted to do something about, you know, uh, the influence of black culture on Chicanos specifically. Because that's where we got the Zitsu. Mm It was jazz culture. And I always thought that'd be really cool. I'm sure, I'm sure there are a lot of people um, doing studies like that. Because it is really fascinating. But like I said, unless you're actually doing something like that, there's no need to compare suffering with suffering. Mm -hmm. What would be the point?
0: Any questions, Chris? I mean,
2: I just want to say thank you for, for sharing um, all that. I mean, I know that, like, for me, you know, that, that's a totally very relevant thing for me um, as a Chinese American. Um, because, you know, oftentimes what I have found is that having gone through a public school system in the United States, yeah. um, uh, we don't necessarily get, um, like, Asian American history at all in our curriculum. Um, outside, outside of you know, like a couple things here and there. I mean, of course, we talk yeah. about Japanese internment—that's a big one—that um, yep. hap- But it's always in the framework of W of uh, World War II, right? And it's never in the framework of like, you know, um, kind of fear mongering. But it's always in like this kind yeah. of oh, you know, p- you know, Pearl Harbor and that. this happened. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> I mean, do you know what it was happening to the Japanese in the 1920s? Probably not,
2: right? Right, and and I think. <laughs> I think that, like, it's not until I got older and, you know, was exposed to other resources outside of a classroom that, you know, began to figure out, like, oh, like, began to see and began to be taught by folks, like, oh, there's all this other stuff that happened in the last hundred years that you just were never told or you missed out on or whatever, right? Um, Right. And, you know, (laughs) uh, yeah.
1: I do. I do want to say something though. It's, it's a really, now that all these parents are at home, like teaching their kids, they're realizing that doing what we do is really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. I always tell my class, you know, you can fill entire volumes with the history of the chair. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. One object I can tell you where it came from, how different cultures do it, how it was created. You know what I mean? And that's just a chair. That's one inanimate object. Imagine having to teach everything about everybody. Mm -hmm. It's very, very difficult to do, especially in in pre-college, right? In Mm -hmm. high school, they're, they're taught to pass an exam, really. And they have very limited time. To cover everything that they can, and so they kind of just cover something that um, influenced everybody. So,
3: mm.
1: you know, things like policy policies influence everybody. So that's what they focus on, right? And that's a very hard thing to understand. It's like if I I wish I wish I could include everything. It's just very very difficult to do, right? where where's that balance who Mm. gets more time who gets more history um this one student was like oh it's kind of cool that we're learning about like women because you know you're a woman so that's probably why you you brought it into the class i was like what (laughs) you know because they were just so used to male white history and and i get it it's just that that's what I mean. It's very hard to please everybody, right? Mm-hmm. To, to make everyone in that room feel like they got equal mm-hmm. <laughs> representation. It's it's very hard. I've only started to include like gay history mm-hmm. uh, because, I, to be honest, my my knowledge of it is is pretty gray. So I've been reading all these books and things, like trying to grapple with it. And then I thought, oh my gosh, I have a lot of disabled students. It'd be really cool mm-hmm. if I could include disabled history. So that's a whole other area that I have to brush up on, right? And then, you know, what if I have, I, I don't really touch on Indian history, you know, like mm-hmm. immigrants from India and things. Because um, usually when you think of Asian history, it's Chinese, Japanese, Korean. Mm-hmm. East Asian, um, yeah. Yes, but what about the Indian people, right? And Mm -hmm. I have quite a few, and I thought, ooh, let me throw in. Then I get overwhelmed, then I get (sighs) all crazy, and then I end up, like, talking, like, two seconds about everybody. It's hard, man. It's
2: really, really hard. Well, and I think it's important to recognize that, like, part of the difficulty is that you're taking on that burden yourself, right? (laughs) Yes. Yes. And and understanding that, like, you know, this is something that we should all – you know no matter what your role in the world is you can do something to help diversify the people around you right absolutely
1: absolutely i'm just one little
2: piece <laughs> in the puzzle right so yeah. so it is you know i mean some of the stuff you you meaning the listener if they're, if we have listeners um,
3: <laughs> like yeah.
2: some, something that that can happen right now during this whole like covid-19 self shelter in place self quarantine mm-hmm. thing Mm-hmm. if you got kids, you got family members, you have influence over, like, broaden their exposure, you know? Absolutely. Like, absolutely. get, get such- books that mm-hmm. aren't the same books. Get TV shows that aren't the same TV shows. Get movies that aren't the same movies, you know? And,
1: and you know what? Yeah, I, absolutely. When you get a history book, check out the author. Make sure mm-hmm. that they're an actual historian. Usually people... <laughs> People who who make a lot of money on history are not historians. They're usually journalists that know how to spin things, how to make things sound a certain way, right? Um, Actually look at the author. Are they an expert in what they're talking about? Then take a look at it. Then read it and be like, oh, okay, so this person spent their entire life reading through all the letters that FDR wrote. Mm -hmm. Maybe he knows a thing or two about FDR. Maybe, perhaps, right? and uh read up on that and and uh to also um read up on things that you know nothing about mm-hmm. i i highly encourage i tell my parents who are spanish-speaking mexicans <laughs> i always tell them i'm like read about asian history read about african history read about what the hell's going on everywhere else in the 70s you know they love the 70s that was their decade i'm like well you know, everyone was wearing bell bottoms. Everybody mm-hmm. was listening to music and having a good time. Everyone was doing heroin. You know what I mean? Like,
0: <laughs> everybody was doing everybody it. do drugs. This is
1: a good time, like, really expand your horizon. Read about other people's history. Mm-hmm. That's important. That's important too. Uh, yeah.
0: All right. So disclaimer: <laughs> don't do drugs. <laughs> don't do it. Drugs are bad for you. Don't do drugs. I'm,
3: That
2: actually actually was the lesson of the 70s. We were like, oh, don't do heroin. Got it.
0: All right. So I have one final question for you, Leslie, and then we go on to our last segment. So I'm going to read a quote to you. and I just want you to respond to it, okay? Okay. The quote says, Great men make history, but only such history as it is possible for them to make. The freedom of achievement is limited by the necessities of their environment. To portray the limits of those necessities and the realization, complete or partial, of all possibilities, that is the true business of the historian. C. L. R. James.
1: <laughs> okay, so there were a, a few words I didn't catch in there.
0: Um, all right, I can read over again.
1: Yeah, could you just a little slower?
0: All right great men Uh make history but only such history as it is possible for them to make their freedom of achievement is limited by the necessities of their environment to portray the limits of those necessities and the realization complete or partial of all possibilities Mm -hmm. that is the true business of the historian
1: clr james okay to get rid of, I literally am taking notes, hang So, okay, let me ask you, what do you think of
0: that? I asked you ask first, you can't answer the question, Question. <laughs> it's not fair.
1: Because you're a dude, and I want to know what, how, how a guy would interpret that.
0: Well... <laughs> I think upon initially reading it, um, I keep in mind that this was a historian from the 1800s, early 1900s. So, you know, per patriarchy and performative masculinity, um, the idea that women or other folks cannot do certain things found their way into the language that we wrote in. And so when I read uh, Great Men, um, I remove the men part and just assume it's, it's you know, general. Great people it, can make it, history. Yeah,
1: he's definitely talking about mankind, right? So, mm-hmm. humans. Yeah, I know. It's it's a very um, typical use of, of the word men. Yeah. Okay, so you're applying it to everybody. Yes. So you didn't, you didn't read it as, okay, this is how we as men make history. Nope. Okay. So, I would 100% wholeheartedly agree with this, this this idea, that part of our job is to get rid of those restrictions and to study those restrictions, to know, yes, the way Wait. that we...
0: Wait, Chris, is she uh, lower? She yeah, you to... sound a little quieter.
1: Oh my gosh, really?
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay, let me turn this up then. How's that? Better?
2: I think just make sure you're physically close to your microphone.
1: Okay. So you're just going to see my forehead. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
1: how about this? Is this good? Yeah, much better. Yeah, that's much good. Better? Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: um. <laughs> I can definitely see your forehead though, so that's
1: fine. <laughs> Here, I'll just stop this then. There we go. Okay. Oh, okay. So, yes, I completely agree. That is that is part of our of our job is to... Part of it is to recognize that we do have limitations, and really that's where the good history comes in, is finding those pockets that are missing information, right? That's, that's what we need to do. What, what are the gray parts of, of history, and has enough been written on it? Um, as a graduate student, I wrote on female zoot suiters, um, Zoot suits, of course, were worn by men and um, they were kind of associated with uh, rebellion and sort of badassery, <laughs> scientific term, um, yeah, for, for Chicanos, right? And um, I thought that was really interesting, but I knew that there were women that also wore the suit. So in looking to see who's written on it, <laughs> there were a grand total of three three women who had written on the zoot suits from the perspective of the women. So I contacted them, I asked them for all of their um, information. They had had actually interviewed a lot of the women that wore them in the 40s. -hmm. And all of them were like, oh yeah, they haven't been digital, Um, they haven't been digitized. I actually don't know where I put the interviews. Um, I'm so sorry, blah, 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 you know, all of these things. And I thought, well, this is certainly a gray area mm-hmm. that not a lot of people are looking at. And so in my research, I found that women definitely looked at the zo- zoot suit in a completely different way than men. Because in our culture, it, it's, it's a lot harder to rebel as a woman, right? We're not mm-hmm. really allowed we i mean men are expected to rebel men are expected to run out of the house and do their own thing be independent women are not and that was certainly the case in the 1940s so the fact that these women were wearing bright red lipstick and wearing pencil skirts oh my gosh what hussies um really really challenged their position in in the community and That was what was so fascinating because of the three books that I read on the subject, none of them really touched on that. Most of them were saying, well, they were being rebellious, just like the men. And it was like, well, no, (laughs) they just wanted to be different. They just Mm -hmm. liked feeling pretty. They liked feeling American. They wore Bobby socks. They wore just like whatever all the other girls were wearing. Um, And they fixed up their hair and did everything that the white girls were doing, but they did it in their own way. They were very, very American, and they were very proud of being American. And I didn't find that in any of the books. And I thought, ah, okay. So here's a gray area. Here's a part that needs to be, you know, taken down, a discrepancy that needs to be taken down, a wall that needs to be taken down. So, yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate, I'd say. That is a huge part of what we do, is look for those gray areas. And they're gray for a reason, right? Most of the time, they're gray for a reason. People don't focus on that particular area. So, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Aaron doesn't look too happy <laughs> with my assessment.
0: Oh, no, I was looking at the quote, and then I saw the blinking recording light again, and I got distracted.
1: <laughs> oh, I see. I
0: see. Um, no, you, you pretty much um, answered the question. I was looking for a response to it, because when I read it, it um, – yeah to me it speaks to the necessity for historians and how uh you mentioned earlier that their job is to interpret history and yeah. make sure that those stories are still being told. Absolutely. And so um but the you last part you,
1: you hmm. as consumers, right? You as yeah. consumers of history are the ones that get to take it further right it's up mm-hmm. to you guys if you apply it it's up to you guys if you mm-hmm. teach your children it's up to you guys right
3: mm-hmm. to,
1: to do that sort of thing because um, our job is to tell you about it right mm-hmm. we don't pass judgment that's on you right mm-hmm. good it's history it's anyway.
0: the um, it's the telling is a part that kind of like rings true for you for the last part because it says to portray the limits of those necessities yeah so it's like you're supposed to tell people or at least, you know, create a way for people to learn, you know, what the hangups were back then. Like, you know, yeah. it wasn't because Franz Fanon couldn't, you know, leave a certain area since he was Black. Sure. And him being Black sure. and a doctor meant so sure. much during that time period. Because even mm-hmm. Black doctors were looked at by white folks like...
1: Oh, yes. Sure oh, no, a no, no.
0: That sort right. of thing. So
1: Right. Absolutely. Yes. it's so It's so important to know... The context of things too Mm -hmm. right history is context Mm -hmm. why are they thinking the way they think why did this particular law change you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. what's going on in society and and what can we learn from it Mm -hmm. definitely
0: so this is our live segment. Is where we allow you, our interviewee, to tell the people what you are up to. You know what do you what are you excited about in the future? What do you have going on? Oh, are you wow. writing a book? Are you you know transitioning <laughs> somewhere else? You get also, to inform the
2: public. Also, this is the time to throw in some recommendations for reading. Oh
0: yes. Oh also, oh! book recs. You know, you have any recommendations by for books? Uh-huh. Go ahead, throw that in there too.
1: Well, I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard of Ronald Takaki, right? No, perhaps? Yeah. Sure,
2: maybe. Mm -mm. Okay. Where would I have heard Ronald Takaki from?
1: Strangers from a Different Shore is probably one of the greatest Asian American history books ever written. Mm. It's gorgeous. And what I love about the way he writes is that he writes... Like, it's for fun. <laughs> like, a lot of historians <laughs> write for each other, right? So it's very dry. It's very, this is what happened. And then this. And then this is proof that this. And you're like, oh my god, this is torture. <sighs> Takaki is awesome. He's written many Books, um, but that one in particular, I swear by it. My copy is all bent. It's just I, I have notes in the margins. I'm like, make sure you bring this up. This is important. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. oh so good. So any of you that are interested in Asian American history and and in a digestible way, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's like 600 pages, but but very well written, beautifully done. And he talks about all walks of life. Like he talks about Indian Americans as well. Mm-hmm. So that's, oh, I love that book. Um, oh, I should answer the, the first question first. <laughs> I got all excited. Um, well, since apparently 2020 has been canceled, mm-hmm. and we're all just going to be at home forever. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to say. I I really want to, <laughs> I want to see if I can get into a PhD program. hmm because I have all these questions in my brain and it'd be really cool if I could be supported by some university somewhere to actually do my research. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's tricky because (laughs) with all these issues, I'm sure our our economy is just going to plummet, making it even more difficult to get into a PhD program. It's already very hard to get into a history one since there's so many Looking to get into the programs and stuff, so that was my initial goal. I'm not sure. I'm kind of playing it by ear. I I have to teach uh, two courses over the summer, and from the way things are going, it looks like it'll probably be on uh, online, which means I'm gonna have to start prepping it a lot sooner than I usually would. So that's really all that's going on in my brain. I really hope at some point. I could be a full time instructor. That that's really my goal, my end goal. Because mm-hmm. I love to teach. I love it. It's one of those things that, you know, it just gives you adrenaline. Like I'll be I'll be coughing and super sick and I'll go and I'll have a face mask on and I'll still lecture. And it always I always leave the class feeling a lot better. You know what I mean? Like she's not she just, lying.
0: She's it's not.
1: not <laughs> you see what I mean? You lie. know what I'm talking about.
0: No, seriously like she came to work sick one day and we're all like leslie go home she's like no i have to teach tonight and we're like leslie you look sick as a dog no i'm going to class and we were just like all right whatever you've grown
1: and i went and my students and my students yelled at me and i was like i'm so sorry but i mean we you have to learn about this stuff this world war ii it's so juicy and uh, <laughs> you know uh i i love doing it and um That's really my end goal. I would love to get a PhD, but I'm being realistic. It's a really hard thing to do just to get in. Mm -hmm. It's uh, approximately history degrees take about um, six to eight years to get. So we're talking like I'll be well into my 40s, you know, barely finishing my PhD. So I don't know. There's a lot to think about. Um, My heart, right? My heart really, really wants... A PhD mm-hmm. only so that I can do my research in peace <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and you know a big a, a component of it is teaching and stuff which I already mm-hmm. do and you know it'd be really great but I'm being realistic I don't know what the future is gonna look like don't know how funding is gonna work um, mm-hmm. in six years is a long time maybe in those six years I'll finally get a full-time teaching position and that'll be it right I'll I'll try to be the best teacher I can be <laughs> And that's really the goal. And you mentioned um, a book. It'd be awesome. I love to write. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was thinking, um, I really, really hate history textbooks. They're really dry and awful. And a friend of mine was like, well, why don't you just write your own for your students? I'm like, you know what? You know what, bitch? I will. (laughs) (laughs) I totally want to do that. And I don't know how legal that is. I don't know if it's all coming from me. I'd imagine yeah. it's okay. Yeah. But that's, I don't know. That's something I'm thinking about because, um, really I have yet to find a history book textbook that I'm like, you know, it's easy for my students who don't speak English very well to use. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people, I have students who've never taken a history course before, not one. So when I say something like, well, this has happened all the way back since President Washington, they're like, when was that? You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, that was our first president. So sorry. Let me reiterate, you know, and there are a lot of textbooks that use big words and Mm -hmm. are super boring. My God, they're awful. They're awful. And I'm like, they're
2: seen as burdens.
1: Oh, my God. Exactly. And they're not cheap. They're not cheap. Mm -hmm. And you know, I love history. And if I can't get through a textbook, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. y'all did something wrong. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. if I can't get through it, how am I going to expect my students to read it? That's just cruel. I'm not going to do that. So I'd like to do something like that, where I can write a book where my students who have taken history before or have never taken it before, it'll be easy to digest, easy Mm -hmm. to read, easy to understand. Yeah, that'd be cool. That's a nice goal, Book (laughs) Rex.
0: You were on Book Rex.
1: Oh, Book (laughs) Rex. Okay, so it kind of depends. Um, It depends on like the topic, right? So where you when you post your podcast, is there a way that we can sort of add text to it, or no? Mm
2: -hmm. I mean, to the description, sure. Yeah.
1: Really? Okay. Can I send Aaron? I'll send one of you uh, a list of like different topical. Stuff? Sure. Is that would that be okay? That way, like listeners can be like, Oh, I wonder if she, you know, I'm really into like World War II. Oh, there you go. David Rose, you know, um Yeah, we'll throw all
2: that stuff in the notes section, but um for sure. Uh and what what would your book recs be if somebody were to come to you and say, I hate history? I (laughs) I I hate it's boring, it's terrible, I, I don't care the topic, I don't care the subject, I just hate history.
1: Okay, that's a really great question. Um, okay, so a general, a general book.
2: Just some something to get people to feel a little bit of love for history.
1: <laughs>
2: Historians
0: love. need love too.
2: Yeah,
1: we do. Like,
2: <laughs> like if you were, okay. if somebody came to you and said, "I don't care about the topic. I just want to read something engaging."
1: Ooh. Okay engaging all right well here here's my problem (laughs) here's my problem with that um i find all of this really really interesting Mm -hmm. and that most people don't give a rat's ass about you know certain things Mm -hmm. um and most people won't read like 800 pages of something Uh right Mm -hmm. like that's probably not digestible like the first the first book that came to my brain when you asked that question Mm -hmm was a book uh, called White Over Black, mm. which I freaking love. It was written in the 70s. Who cares? Winthrop is amazing, Dr. Winthrop. He's so good. Um, and it's like 800 pages. <laughs> it's basically mm-hmm. the history of racism, mm-hmm. like how we developed our concept of white over black. And it's so good. I had to read it for grad school, and I found myself reading every single sentence when you're not, what you're not supposed to do. You have to read a book in a week. Uh What the hell was I doing sitting there reading every single sentence? I was like, oh, this is so good. I spend hours reading a chapter or two. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh shit, I gotta read this fast. And so after I got my master's, I I just, that summer, I sat down and read the whole thing. It's just so compelling, so Mm. well written. He's just good and so well researched. My God, his footnotes are extensive. It's crazy. Um, Another one that came to mind was written by um, uh, someone named Kennedy. It's called um, uh, Freedom from Fear. Also about like 800 pages. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And it's about World War II. And it's Mm -hmm. awesome. It's awesome. It's written like kind of like a novel Mm -hmm. where it's just such a page turner. Like right when you think things are going to calm down, no. You turn the page and you're like, oh, shit. I totally forgot about that oh no, now it's a big deal, and you keep reading. It's so good. He starts it off with, like, because all of it, pretty much all the leaders, you know, Stalin, uh, Hitler, Mussolini, they were all veterans of World War One. So mm-hmm. he starts the whole book with them being soldiers in World War One and how mm-hmm. all of their experiences shaped how they ran World War II. It's mm-hmm. brilliant. It's so good. Um, oh, there's so many. I have, like, so many, I have a lot of bookshelves. It's really ridiculous. Um, so <laughs> that's a really hard question. I, I actually, a lot of people um, tell me to read these, these, these two books. One's called um, An African-American and Latino History of the United States.
3: By, by Paul Yeah.
1: And then I have the other one, The Indigenous People's History of the United States. Oh, yeah. Uh, written, I think, by his wife, Roxanne Ortiz. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't read them yet. I don't know. But what's tricky with that is I'm worried that what they'll do is basically shit on white people the whole time. Which always really, really worries me when when you're dealing with history because that tends to happen. Mm. Um, I need a history book to be objective, right? And it's hard to do that when you're talking about it from a particular point of view. So, but again, I have not read these books. I don't know if that's the case. <laughs> I really hope not. Um, because I, I found that a lot of people are reading those, mm-hmm. which is great. It means that they're interested in indigenous history and all that stuff. I just really hope that not a lot of shitting is going on. <laughs> right? I, let's minimize, minimize I all shitting. Like,
2: I, th- I think, really... um, I mean, from my, from my uh, not as critical eye because I'm, I'm, this isn't my field of study. Um, but I, I I thought it was good. Um, and, um, uh, you know, uh, one of our our professors and former guests on this podcast, uh, Professor Gomez actually brought Paul Ortiz to campus. uh, Oh wow! Yeah. 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 So that's right. Yeah.
1: And and again, I haven't read it. Don't take my word for it. If if you guys think it's good. Awesome. I can't wait to read them now that i have time apparently i can uh, start reading them um but you know to answer your your question directly was you know if there's one that kind of encapsulates all of american history i'd probably say anything that howard zinn writes dr howard zinn um because they're they're small volumes which i'm like i think most people wouldn't Mind reading like 400 pages of something that 400 pages is doable. Uh-huh. Um, and of course, he wrote a People's History of the United States and it's actually free. He offers it for free on his website. Um, I, I do, I do recommend those. I, I actually use, he has a book called Voices of American uh-huh. People's History. Um, I use that in my class a lot because it's primary sources. I really think it's important that my students read from the people that actually live through things. And it's really cool because they didn't know that like Helen Keller, for example, was a total badass and hated World War I and <laughs> didn't want to get involved and stuff like that. And I give them um, letters and speeches that she did. And, um, you know, I think that's that's pretty important. I think Howard Zinn, he understands that there's an interest and
3: mm-hmm.
1: he writes it in a way that is easy to read, you know, for the casual person who's interested in history. I think that'd be a good one. Cool. But I will give you all a, a specific list. Like that's happening. Aaron, yes. Keep an I'll eye remind out you. it. I, I will. <laughs> I I'll will. remind you.
2: Yeah. We'll put we'll awesome. put the list in the show notes and we'll have links yes. and stuff. It'll be great. Yes. It'll be awesome. Yes. All right. yes. <laughs> well,
0: this has been the Men Creating Change Podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you all for listening. And most importantly, stay <laughs> your <y'all> asses inside. <laughs> please. Stay
1: inside and read a history book.
0: Yes. Yeah, do something because <laughs> I'm trying to get out punishment already. We, we all want punishment <laughs> together and the more y'all still try to go outside, the more mother is like, God, I get nothing no, I'm not getting out time soon.
1: No, no. no. This not is I'm our safe. lives now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alright, thanks guys. Be
0: safe, Thank you. take care of your family, take care of your loved yeah. ones. <laughs> Goodbye. Thank you. Bye-bye.